Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Faith Works Live. Here's your host, Rebecca Haney. Hello and welcome to Faith Works Live. It's always a joy to be with you and to get to spend this little slice of eternity focusing on what matters, focusing on how to live out our faith in this crazy old chaotic mixed up world where even things like uh, what it means to be a man or a woman or uh, you know anything, any one of the 157 other options that we seem to have creatively uh, constructed, um, which don't really exist by the way. Uh, we, uh, we love to talk about the truth here on the airways. As long as I've got this microphone, you know, who knows how long that'll be, but, uh, between now and then, and when the Lord tarries, thanks for being with us. We have an excellent guest on our line. I am so excited, uh, to pick her brain. She, uh, knows quite a bit about the intersection of, uh, family and faith and education and the legal system. She is a scholar with our friends at the Heritage Foundation, and, uh, she writes extensively on issues of, recently on issues of legal cases and gender confusion, gender, quote unquote, gender affirming care, which is actually gender denial, which, uh, we know, and, uh, her name is Sarah Partial Perry. Follow her on X. I'm used to saying Twitter, but it's not anymore. It's, <laughs> it's the X Twitter. It's X at uh, Sarah P. Perry. And Sarah, it is a joy to have you with us. I am really glad to be here. Thanks, Rebecca. So glad uh, that you could make the time. I know you're a super busy lady. You're also, oh, I forgot to say, uh, if people aren't subscribed to Problematic Women, which is an awesome podcast, I kind of identify. I feel like you're, we're we're speaking the same language on that. I'm one <laughs> of the club um, because, you know, I'm not cool enough to belong to clubs. I'm a mom of six kids out in the hinterlands of Mayberry <laughs> and loving it, but I don't get to belong to many clubs. So thanks for making one that I can be a part of. Everyone should subscribe to Problematic Women. And uh, I know uh, you you guys go into all of the awesome territory of uh, the cultural chaos that we have. Uh, you were just recently talking, for example, about some pretty groundbreaking cases here in, in your most recent episode, I think, um, that are coming out of California that deal yeah. with this intersection of gender. And that's, I almost never get to say that sentence, good news out of California courts. Yeah, that's, you know, it's really surprising. But what we're seeing across the country is a series of policies that are designed essentially to hide gender identity information from parents. Hmm. Now, you and I understand that the way we parent, we aren't just given constitutional protection or federal civil rights protection. We're given protection because of our relationship to our children and because God's put us in a position of primary authority, which is mm -hmm. 
not a, it's not a responsibility. It's not a privilege I take lightly. I have three of my own, uh, 14, 16, and 19. So you can pray for me because I'm I right in the middle of all of those hormones right now. But I will tell you, we've seen multiple lawsuits. There are currently six federal lawsuits pending. Mm. And we saw, for example, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals out in um, Maryland actually determined that a school policy could be legal and cut parents completely out of the equation altogether. But we saw a different technique coming out of California, of all places. Now, this was different in that we saw the lawsuit brought by uh, two teachers who, for whom this was a violation of their religious liberty mm. and their freedom of speech. So it was a violation of the First Amendment on two different grounds. They yeah. brought suit against the school district and the school officials. And of all things, a federal district court judge in California decided, yes, they had standing. And yes, this was not just a bad policy. The judge went so far as to call it the, quote, trifecta of harm. Wow. And that meant that this was a policy that was harmful not only to kids who need their parents' input and guidance, and not only to children who are going through these hormonal swings and really need their parents to be involved, but also to teachers. Because what it does is it assumes every teacher will want to hide that critically important important information from from parents themselves. Mm -hmm. And the judge said that is not the case and actually halted the law temporarily while the merits part of the litigation, sort of the the meat of the actual lawsuit goes forward in federal court. It's great. Hmm. And do you expect that to hit the level of the Supreme Court? Possibly, but it depends on whether or not two federal appellate uh, courts come to different conclusions. Hmm. And we've seen now the Fourth Circuit uphold these kind of policies, but we might see the Ninth Circuit strike down these types of policies. If that happens, if you have a split between two federal appellate courts, the Supreme Court is more likely to weigh in because they will have to settle a distinct difference in interpretation on mm -hmm. precisely the same issue. Now, places where we've actually seen a split already are in the 23 states that have passed what are called gender-affirming medical bans. And of course, I'm using air quotes to everyone who's listening to us right now. Right. But these are, you cannot affirm someone's gender identity. That is subjective. It's an individual perspective they have on whether or not they were born in the right or wrong body, any more than you can affirm someone's mental illness. Yes, I acknowledge that it exists, but no, I am not going to facilitate it by by allowing you to cut off your breasts or chemically castrate yourself hmm. or act and behave as though you are the opposite sex. Because we know, Rebecca, we are created in the image of God and no one is put in the wrong body. The Amen. way we are born is exactly the way God designs us. But we've now seen no fewer than 10 federal lawsuits on these medical bans. Hmm. Now, these are fully within a state's rights. They were passed by both chambers of these state legislative bodies, signed into law by the governors. But the ACLU, of course, and the Human Rights Campaign have been out in front. They've been challenging all of these bans. They have called these bans interference what, with what they call life-affirming care or life-saving care. 
That is also not the case. There mm-hmm. is a incredible comorbidity with individuals who have mental health diagnoses, but we would not take away food from an anorexic. We would not d- sort of involve ourselves in someone's delusions if they were schizophrenic. And in this way, we also need to take a step back. We need to lead first with therapy. These are very common sense state bans. Mm-hmm. The Sixth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals and the 11th have both upheld state laws. The Eighth Circuit Court of Appeal has struck it down. We've Mm. already got a split now, and that makes it incredibly likely that ultimately the Supreme Court is going to have to weigh in. Mm. And we hear a lot about things like activist courts. I'm glad to see that there are courts that seem to uphold the idea of law and parental rights, the idea of uh, not only just parents for parents' sake, because we all know that, you know, parenting is a really difficult thing and that there's yeah. a whole spectrum of that. And sometimes we need help. Um, but for the state to come in and then determine, and then I, I would also say schools, public schools as agents of the state or operating under the agency of the state uh, yes. to come in and say, we know better than you do. And yes. we need to tell you, we need to insert ourselves in the middle of that. That goes against not only, I would say, the constitutional grounds, but also natural law and an understanding of these different jurisdictions. There's never yeah. been the case where the state has stepped in and say, unless you're talking about total fascism, where the state has yeah. taken place at, at the place of the parents. And yet it does seem like we're right there at that intersection. I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that, that we're now in a competition for the, the hearts, minds, bodies, and souls of our children with the government, parents with the government. And that, that can't stand that no society on earth is going to survive that if we don't entrust parents to the care or, or children to the care of their own parents. Every time we have seen the government interfere with family formation and family sanctity, we have seen those particular uh, societies come to ruin, mm-hmm. whether we're talking about socialism, whether we're talking about communism or fascism, every totalitarian government that interferes with that nuclear family structure, which, by the way, predates government itself. Mm-hmm. We know this is from time immemorial, from the time that God put Adam and Eve in the garden, told them to be fruitful and multiply and they had Cain and Abel, that was a dysfunction of its own sort. We know that (laughs) the family structure is from time immemorial, the, the foundational element of all society. Strong families produce strong nations and strong governments. But what we're seeing now is this increasing encroachment on parental rights. Really, parents are now persona non grata. And I will Mm. tell you what we've recently seen in California, and I am one of those legal scholars and one of those political pundits that is holding her breath. The state of California passed a bill determining that failure to affirm your minor child's gender identity was child abuse and you could be divested of custody for that minor child. It is the most breathtaking evisceration of parents' rights I have ever seen. And it came through as a package of bills on gender identitarianism, including a bill that prevents school boards from removing what is clearly pornographic information, those illustrated books like Gender Queer that actually include illustrations or pictures of sex 
acts in public school libraries. It, it binds the hands of school boards and including guidance and regulations for doctors, medical professionals who want to hide mental health information about gender identity for minor kids from the parents of those children. So California has been a bit of a mixed bag lately. <laughs> the five bills that passed out of both chambers and are now sitting on Governor Gavin Newsom's desk, he has promised to sign them. We think it'll be very short order before they are challenged in court. But at the very least, we have now had a federal trial court judge weigh in and say, you know, these policies that hide essential information from parents are really this trifecta of harm. Well, and I'm gratified to hear that that's coming out of a court in California. I know here in Iowa, we've gone the other direction in our policy. We haven't acted on a very proud of what our state legislature and our governor uh, have done, uh, enacting protections for children to ensure that we get some of the that pornographic content out of school classrooms. Of course, that's been widely ballyhooed and, and uh, bandied about by the leftists as big book bans, because, sure. you know, that that's exactly what conservatives are all about. The ones who are over here in, encouraging people to read the founding documents and the great history and literature of our time. We actually do want that to be read in school. We just don't want porn in the hands of our school kids. Can we That's get exactly that? It. Do we believe that <laughs> kindergartners don't need to see sex cartoons? Okay. I mean, let's That's just exactly let's it. just be bold about that. They actually do need to learn how to read. Maybe we can come together around that. But our governor, I mean, I gave her major props at the time. It was last year. And she went on our local news, our statewide news, and she read portions of that on broadcast television. And it was wow. very awkward for the the reporter at the time. And I thought, if you feel uncomfortable hearing the, our governor read these portions of these books, then in no way are they appropriate for grade schoolers to have access to. And really, that in itself, I think, shows where people are, even if you consider yourself, you know, maybe more subjective on this issue, you're not quite, you know, the radical that I am about this. <laughs> but if, if you feel uncomfortable hearing those words spoken in, in adults or among adult conversation or at a school board meeting where they turn off the microphones of parents who object simply reading the content concern moms and dads they'll just cut off the mic and then yes. they proceed to do whatever they believe to be politically expedient i mean that in itself should show you the people that are afraid to tell you the truth about what's going on still it, it, that's the part of the insidious nature of all of this that i think rightly inspires the ire and the protection instinct among mama bears and papa bears out there yes. and just concerned citizens is that this is being hidden. This is a concerted effort. And it's it, they're keeping parents in the dark. Now, legally, they're going so far as to say, we can take your children from you if you yeah. don't toe the line, if you don't agree with gender delusion. And Sarah, I mean, I'm I'm very concerned about this. I think we've come to a point uh, to cross a Rubicon moment. I think maybe that's way back there on the bumper. Like we've, we've already <laughs> come here to this point. Yes. If, if we don't stand up for, for our kids at this point, we have nothing left. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's going to take ordinary individuals just to be able to do that exact same thing. You know, when we did uh, Problematic Women this week, we talked to a mom named Marianne Jensen, and she had a clip from a school board speech that she gave on the absence of utility for masks and how masks were not working. All the kids were struggling. Kids who had special uh, needs, like those on the autism spectrum who have difficulty reading facial expressions anyway, mm -hmm. have no idea what they're experiencing at the time. And she actually told us a story about how she went in for a well visit with her 14-year-old boy, was asked to leave the room by the doctor, who then said, uh, 
if you're going to stay in, there's some questions I need to ask your son. And those included, do you ever feel like you've been born in the wrong body? She was actively sort of on the target of the doctor's attempt to divest her of her authority, influence, and direction Mm -hmm. over her 14-year-old boy's life. It's unconscionable to me, but this is a whole of government effort. We're seeing it from cultural elites. We are seeing it from media elites. We are seeing it from those who are in political movements. We are seeing it from the left. We are seeing it on Capitol Hill. And we are seeing it from individuals now in the medical profession and in public education. Now, public education has for many, many decades been run largely by unions, but I have always been a fan of public education. I was senior counsel at the Department of Education uh, under the previous administration, but I will say it's gotten to the point now where there are tiny enclaves of hope among teachers like those who just prevailed out in California, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, these are now indoctrination camps. And I am shocked that I am saying this because truly I wanted to say I was a graduate of public education, but of course, this was, you know, 30 years ago, uh, as opposed to where we are now. And it is a completely different animal. That's why it is so important for parents to ask questions. Talk to your kids. What did you talk about today? Who did you talk to today? What did your school administrators say to you? What did your teachers uh, say to you? Mm-hmm. Parents have a right to evaluate and inspect their children's educational record under a law called the uh, Family Education Rights and Privacy Act. Now, little fun fact about that. This is a privacy right actually held by children, except it's held by the parents until the children turn 18. So for Mm -hmm. all intents and purposes, K through 12 students, guess what? Your parents are allowed to go in and inspect your education record. Make sure you are getting the full record and that things are not being redacted or Mm -hmm. hidden and find out what the gender identity support plan policies are. Do they have a policy that prevents parents from knowing? Do they have a policy that will work to socially transition these students, allowing them to use different names, different pronouns, wear different clothing, use different bathrooms? This is sort of the crack in the wall. And Mm -hmm. we know that invariably these social transitions have proven to be more likely to lead to medical transitions later. It makes perfect sense, but we're talking upward of 70%. I would just advise all of your listeners that for those people who still have students in public schools, make sure you are being really aggressive and asking questions. Mm -hmm. That's the least that we can do, truly. And I think our kids deserve, well, they deserve the absolute best that we can provide for them in terms of education. I believe that's the God-given responsibility of the parents. And there's more and more people that I know personally and anecdotally that are saying, I- I've got to do better by my kids. They've changed everything about their lifestyle, about you know their life expectations, their you know, annual income has gone down so that they can stay home. They can uh, you know facilitate their kids' education. We're getting really creative. I love to see the creative yeah. opportunities that are out there. And I do pray for the to teachers that are there in the trenches that care about the kiddos uh, because all of our kids deserve better than the indoctrination that is being forced upon them. You mentioned yeah. um, autism, which just a quick rabbit trail because our son is autistic. And so that's a connection for us. I have that one on the spectrum as the, well, by the way. <laughs> it's Well, and thumbs up, mama. 
Uh, now, yes. the, it's it's scary to see how children, in particular vulnerable kids, who would be, I mean, any kid in middle school is going to be asking all kinds of questions. They're going to yes. feel like they're out of place. They don't belong. They don't fit in. Maybe, you know, I'm not as cute as I should be or as tall or, you know, yeah. I feel dumb. And, and so to then take that and prey on that vulnerability, and they're doing it yeah. at younger and younger ages when you have preschoolers and kindergartners that have to come home and define what it means to be non-binary. I mean, yeah. that's absolutely ridiculous. That's yeah. utterly insane that we then say, okay, well, I, that we make any excuse for that at all. And I yeah. think many of the time we, we've made those excuses for too long. I think many parents are now uh, waking up to coin a phrase and, and they're willing to make the sacrifices to do that, but they're concerned that either it's not going far enough or they won't have the true impact that, that there's just too much. Um, it, it, it's too, that, that the root is rotten. And yeah. so I would love to hear your take, um, you know, someone who has worked at very high levels um, in the Department of Education. Do, what do you see as the future of public education in general based on the indoctrination where where that seems to be its chief export now? Where yeah. Our kids can't read and can't write and can't do math and can't socialize at basic levels. But crime has gone up. You know, yeah. sexual indoctrination and perversion is at an all time high. And not to mention all the you know, they're all coming out off the, the conveyor belt as good Marxists that are going to vote for Bernie Sanders. So yeah. I, I would love to hear your take on what you see as the future and the efficacy of potential remedies for individuals as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because this uh, there's been an increasing sort of industrialization of education. And again, the unions have sort of an outsized influence in public education. But I will say there is a manipulation of civil rights law that actually has, I think, allowed us to sort of be at the receiving end of a lot of these left-wing um, ideologies, including, for example, critical race theory or critical gender ideology. Uh, identity theory. These are big, big influencers in public education right now. The next administration is going to have its work cut out for it. This is an encouragement also for um, those who are listening to your show to go out and make sure that they vote, right? So you you have your Bible in one hand, you've got the Constitution in the other, and you need to go out, you need to vote for people who represent your perspective and are going to empower you as parents, something mm -hmm. which up to this point we have not had to work so hard for because we have a 100 years of Supreme Court jurisprudence to back us up on this, in addition to natural law, which recognizes mom and dad as the primary authority in their minor children's lives. But it, it's going to be a yeoman's effort. Mm -hmm. I do believe public education can be saved, but it is going to take a lot of work. We're going to have to stand up to organized labor. We're going to have to stand up to union influence. We're going to have to run for school board. I've actually had two different uh, parents reach out to me on two different occasions from years past in my personal history and tell me that they were running for school board and could I provide them some resources. Absolutely unrelated, work in two different fields, never met each other, both reached out to me. I think this has come home to roost for a lot of people. Uh, for both of them, it was the presence of biological males in the female locker rooms mm -hmm. that did them in. That has really, I think, activated an entirely new population to run for school board. And listen, I'm gonna tell you, as I tell just about everybody, the most important elections that are going to take place in the next 12 months are going to be school board races, because that is how 
primary authority is going to be returned to parents, and it's going to be how curricular development on things like reading, writing, and arithmetic, which is what we should have our public school uh, curriculum focused on, is going to return again. Listen, I, I moved into a relatively um, sort of affluent zip code in Baltimore County simply so that I could be in a blue ribbon school district. And when we enrolled the kids, we were very pleased. That lasted about 12 to 18 months once COVID hit. And I think we finally got an opportunity to see what was being taught behind the scenes. And we realized that this was sort of a cudgel that was being used against American parents and that it was an opportunity to sort of provide lefty evangelization in all of these American classrooms, we knew we had to make a change. It was cemented for me when the state assessment scores came out on meeting, reading, and math literacy, and the math literacy rates were 30%. Hmm. In one that had been previously a blue ribbon school that was performing in years past at 90%. We are too busy indoctrinating children in public education. And in the meantime, our international competitive scores for math and English literacy are absolutely plummeting. So we're so busy wrapping up our children in this notion of social justice and sort of malleable morality and what feels good in the moment and hypersexualizing all of them. It's as if America catches a cold and the rest of the world sneezes because mm -hmm. we're seeing the influence now in other countries. We're seeing the influence, for example, in Canada. We've seen the influence in Europe. Now, thank God we've seen schools and specifically gender clinics in Sweden, Finland, Norway, England, all back off their yes. previous attempts to actively transition kids. Now, why America has not taken the note and following suit remains to be seen. But this next 12 months is going to be critical. It is going to be a time really to exercise the power of the citizen vote. Hmm. Uh, that's like homework for all of us, Sarah. Yeah. And I, I do. That is an accurate picture of me. I go in with a Bible in one hand, a constitution in the other, and that's just how I go. That's my daily costume. So I feel, like, <laughs> I feel seen. <laughs> Sarah Marshall Perry is our guest. Oh, she's awesome. And uh, she's given her time today to talk about the craziness of gender confusion, but also some silver linings that we're seeing. If this doesn't activate you to stand up and speak, mm. to stand up and be bold, to stand in the gap for our kids. Um, I don't know what will, because there yeah. is, as you mentioned, Sarah, an active transing the kids. Now we get accused a lot. I say we, I mean, myself over here, I'm comfortable in the deplorable basket. I'm comfortable <laughs> with living my faith on my sleeve and speaking my mind and standing up for what is right. Here I stand, I can do no other. But there's <laughs> others that that get a little bit swayed um, by, by thinking, oh, well, I'm not mean. I, I'm a nice person. I care about people, especially in Iowa. We're proud of our Iowa nice. And yeah. so when when folks come at us and say, well, that's just a big conspiracy. No one's actively trying to trans the kids. You need to, to just, you know, be kind, be kind and, you know, appreciate their lived experience. And then when someone yeah. tells you, just use the pronouns of their choice, it's not going to hurt you anyway. And lo and behold, we have kids that are more confused, um, more un less, less healthy, less yeah. uh, able to function in the real world, more likely to have mental issues and horribly, horribly to say more 
suicidal than if we were to establish a better health pattern for them. If we were to get them into, you know, qualified counseling, for example, rather than just going along and saying, okay, you can dress up however you want. You can use this bathroom or not. Not to mention the 99% of the population that is having to go along with all of this, that's being bullied into that. And especially young women in dressing rooms, in bathrooms, being confronted in some cases, in the minority of cases, being assaulted. And in all of those cases, being deprived of their privacy, being deprived of their rights, being forced into this giant political game. uh, And they have no agency and they now have no protection. I mean, Riley Gaines is very famously the spokesperson. uh, But, you know, this applies to hundreds of women now, uh, young women and girls in that position. And that's unconscionable that not only that they would be forced into that situation, but they'd be told that if they have a problem with it, it, they're the bullies. They're the villains. And, And again, if that doesn't inspire us to speak up, to say no more of this nonsense, I don't care. I'm sorry that you're not feeling, you know, in incongruity with the created order of your body. We can get you help, um, but you're not going to expose my daughter to male genitalia in a private yeah. bathroom. Like that should never, ever happen. And we're now facing some legal challenges here in the state of Iowa to policies at the state level designed to protect kids, kind of like that back to school effort. We now have a lot of back to school lawsuits. Yep. Um, so we we have yet to see, I'm, I'm praying for the results of those things. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But I am hopeful that we we used to call it common sense, of course, and now there's nothing less common. Right. So as you survey the landscape, we've got some good news out of California, which frankly, it should inspire the optimist in all of us. Uh, But what do you see as the future as we've got kind of this almost like a a, um, half and half breakdown in our states, among our states across the union. And we've got states like California that are way on the wacky left. And you've got places like Florida and Iowa that are standing up and being counted among those that I like to call reality. Um, So if we see this you know, half and half breakdown among our states. My concern is that we will no longer have a United Nation because you've got such a diametrically opposed way of thinking. What would be your take on uh, on just surveying the general landscape? Is it truly like a 50-50 breakdown? And are we able to maintain this kind of united? So I guess this is a broad vision question. Are yeah. we able to, how can we come together when it seems like, you know, half of, of our states or half of our citizens see the world, see uh, up is down and black is white? Yeah. So it's interesting because the number of states that have passed sex specific sports laws, right, protecting and often they're called Fairness and Women's Sports Acts, about 22 states. And there are about 23 states that have restricted what's called gender affirming care 
for those individuals under the age of 18. So they track almost perfectly parallel with one another. And the Heritage Foundation and Heritage Action uh, for America, which is our lobbying arm, our C4 uh, affiliate, has been very active in the states where those laws do not exist. Now, it does result in sort of a messy version of federalism, but in many ways, that is how the founders envisioned it. They were a pro-states rights organization of um, leaders at the time. And it is truly, I think, while messy, the best way for a constitutional republic to function. What we do need is a national leader that's going to unify and that is going to get the executive branch in step with, for example, the judicial branch, which is beginning more and more to interpret these laws correctly, to apply the law in a textualist way, not read anything extra into the laws, and not stretch the Constitution to protect, for example, this notion that you can get any, quote, gender-affirming medical procedure that you want when no case in Supreme Court history has ever supported such a radical outcome. So what we need is someone nationally to unify the conservative big C movement and to make sure that children who are the most vulnerable class are protected, you know, decades, uh, really centuries of jurisprudence on contract law indicates that minors, those who are under the age of 18, do not possess the agency to be able to engage in things like drinking or being drafted or voting or having a piercing or being able to buy cigarettes. There are multiple contexts in which we limit these um, sort of abilities of minors because they are understood, and the Supreme Court's made this clear, they have lower emotional maturity, lower intellectual maturity, and it's really something that only puberty and time can help develop. So we want to make sure that we can get these kids through these phases when they are in education, because this is where we're saying it, right? We're seeing the pronoun policies and the parental rights policies that violate uh, the ability of moms and dads to know if their kids are expressing any gender dysphoria and these sports policies that are allowing boys onto girls track teams in girls locker rooms in girls bathrooms really k through 12 is the fundamental most critical battleground right now while again it is sort of a messy vision of federalism i think again it is all the more reason for us to go out and vote and especially so in states that do not have laws like those that we've talked about today that do not have bans on this quote gender affirming care or bans on male participation in girls sports teams so it's really something that um, I think time will work out and elections will have a great impact on. Sarah Parshall Perry is our excellent guest. She's a senior legal fellow at the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. She focuses quite a bit on civil rights, constitutional governance, not to mention faith, family, and uh, the intersection of all of those things. Sarah, I'd like to take just a quick break. And when we come back, I want to circle back, Jen Psaki, circle back to uh, what you just said about the, it, it does seem like the the targeting towards children is definite. There's some people out there that don't see it. 
that think that we're making all of this up. I, I think it would they would be hard pressed to have listened this far to the interview and listen to all your specific examples um, and say that there isn't a concerted effort to prey upon the minds of young children to actively confuse and actively influence. Let's just use that word, um, it, the word of the day, uh, to influence towards um, alternative lifestyles, alternative ways of understanding, ways of understanding of, of identifying. And I'd, I'd love uh, to tackle that. And I also see some parallels between this and what's happening on the fight for life, which I know you keep up with. So if we have time, time permitting, uh, let's get your quick take on that. When we return, you're listening to Faith Works Live. Your Beacon, Iowa's Hope 940. day uh, in the neighborhood here in the state of Iowa. We are proud to have uh, common sense raiding through the lands, our rights we prize, our liberties we prize, and our rights we will maintain. Rebecca Haney is my name, and Faith Works Live is the name of the show wherever you're listening. I'm glad you're here. Sarah Partial Perry is our guest, and I am uh, just Tickle Pink that she's with us today. She is a senior legal fellow for Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Our friends at the Heritage Foundation hooked us up. Um, you, you've got to subscribe to Problematic Women. Of course, after you're done listening to all of our great podcasts here, uh, check them out. If you consider yourself a, a problematic woman, and of course I do, um, you'll want to hear what they have to say there. You you know her voice from radio for years. You know uh, her writing. And I, I was reading some column, I think uh, here recently, one of your colleagues put out a, uh, a column about the um, jails in Wisconsin and the just the strange coincidence that over half of trans identifying uh, inmates in the state of Wisconsin. So again, not like it's super wacky left. I've got family in Wisconsin. That's like my home stopping grounds in there. They're good people up there. And yet, if you take a survey, which the fine folks at Heritage did, uh, take a survey of what's going on in their prisons. So talk about a vulnerable population of women over half of trans-identifying inmates um, were there because, lo and behold, they had committed sexual crimes. And I, I mean, that's one of those things that we we look at that and say, "Hello, like, could could did anyone see this coming?" Did yeah. <laughs> behold, I mean, I don't understand how you look at that and and how you're not surprised, how you're not disgusted, and how you don't think, "Wow, somebody's really taking advantage of the system. This should not be." Um, and yet, that's again one of those overlooked facts that worldviews have consequences. We like to say on the show, and this is a situation where there's a vulnerable population um, in prisons in a state like Wisconsin that is being, I mean, how could it not be, how could they not be being actively targeted um, by people who are clearly uh, unsafe around the population and have chosen to so pervert their nature and their morality as to prey upon women and girls. And now they're in women's prisons because they identify as quote unquote women and our legal betters and the elites among us have said, yes, this is perfectly normal and healthy. And if you don't do it, then you're the problem. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because we suspected that our investigation is going to reveal something along those lines, particularly because of the um, comorbidity with fetishism on these males who identify as female. There is a, an individual fetish called autogonophilia 
Don't bother to look it up. I hate that I even know it, but these are essentially cross-dressers. This isn't true organic gender dysphoria because the presence of gender dysphoria is itself a very minor percentage of individuals in the country. In fact, again, still classified as a mental illness, but looking simply at the Wisconsin Department of Corrections, and I actually grew up in Waukesha, Wisconsin, mm. so I am very familiar with the state. Um, I have to tell you that seeing that more than 50% of those who've been accused and convicted of at least one sexual assault charge was in some respects quite shocking and in other respects completely to be uh, expected. And what we're seeing is the giving up of security and safety and privacy for biological women. Listen, women have only had the vote for a hundred years. We didn't get Title IX, which guaranteed educational equality in um, federal law until 1972. We have not had equality in law as women for that long. And yet mm -hmm. what we're doing is we're seeing these individuals who paint themselves as being feminists, paint themselves as being affiliated with sort of social justice and leftist causes who are absolutely rolling over on things like this. And in fact, now it is the conservative movement who's standing up and begging for sanity and common sense. But it is proof positive that we need to be asking the hard questions on this. We have to be saying, what is going to happen to the women who are housed next to these individuals, the women who have to compete next to these individuals, the women who are going to lose their scholarships or single sex admission slots at elite private girl schools because of these individuals? We need to be asking those hard questions. And unfortunately, we don't see enough people asking. So it's really time for conservatives and the church big C, right? So the church universal to say there is nothing incorrect about the bodies in which we are born. We are created male and female in his image. No one is born in the wrong body. Their feelings may tell them otherwise, but God does not. As my mother used to like to say, make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You are exactly who you are supposed to be because of his perfect design. Amen. Yeah. And, and to give into that lie to such an extent that it, it's more than that, it's profiting off of the lie because yeah. people use the instability, the vulnerability that we're all prey to. I mean, whether or not yeah. you fall victim to that specific lie, we all have those insecurities that our en the enemy of our soul loves to play on. But there's also forces in um, the here and now that yeah. are preying on vulnerability. They're inculcating that because they want to destabilize the systems that keep us safe. They want to destabilize these structures like family, church, government that God has instituted among men so that we can you know have safety security and so that we can understand who he is if male and female have been created equally in the image of god now i'm up on my soapbox here so i probably sound taller <laughs> um but <laughs> this is this is to illustrate the image of god and we do so beautifully and uniquely and to see both men and women working together in harmony displays something about this essential nature of god that's why god has given us the two uh, to sexes, not genders, actually, but to the both maleness and femaleness uh, to work together in unity to show us as a gift 
um, mm-hmm. how uniquely we can display his image one another, in the same way that he's given us variety of different skin tones and eye colors and, you know, just personalities. He loves that variety. Yeah. Um, so when we deny that about ourselves at that kind of deep, deep level, I mean, the confusion that that said, it's, it's more than just confusion. It's um, an, a lack of complete, uh, it's divorcing yourself from your, from not only your identity, but your purpose, your destiny, your meaning, why yeah. you're even here in the first place. And there are the, the, the wicked um, intentions of human beings that can exploit that to divide, to further you know, conquer and gain their authority and their power for whatever little time they have in this slice of eternity. Um, and so we cannot go along with that. I guess I bring all of that up to say, if you're not along and you're singing from the same song sheet as I am, then we have to stand up and be counted as the people of God, as the people who love freedom to say, we we can no longer be uncertain. A lack of clarity is not love. We're not yeah. having compassion on anybody who is truly confused by continuing to lie to them. Lying yeah. is, is never loving. And yeah. uh, and I think that the people of God need to be able to stand up. We we can't be concerned about being called nasty names or because uh, because that's going to happen no matter what. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but our, if we can't stand up for our kids, for the vulnerable, for basically women and children are in the crosshairs of all of this. And as I, as I mentioned, leading into this, I know you're quite clear on this as well. You've been boldly speaking out, which thank you so much for doing that, um, is, and and continue, keep up the good work. Uh, (laughs) It's, it's a concerted effort to target children specifically. Women are victimized and young children and disproportionately girls, by the way, are being targeted by this anti-gender narrative that says you're not okay. You were born wrong. And I think younger, having been a girl, a young girl, (laughs) we're susceptible to that message that we're wrong anyway. And how dare we then put these voices in authority that say, yep, you're wrong. You need to chop up your body and you need to, you know, manipulate yourself and scream to the heavens and like deny everything about who you are and what you know to be true because God made a mistake with you. I mean, that in itself is just it. That's heinous. That's not loving. And I I would love to hear your um, just quick elevator speech understanding of uh, why they're specifically targeting the kids. Well, I think because once you can target not just government, not just law, and you can break down the notion of what is legal, what is illegal, what is appropriate, what is inappropriate, then you can go to the family. And once you break down the family, then you can go to the individual. What this is, is essentially a long Marxist march through all of society, beginning with the institutions, next to the laws, then to the family, and now to the very person itself. You know, what it is, is it's the philosophy of collectivism, right? If there are no distinctions between each of us, whether that would be who we are ethnically, who we are in terms of our sex, who we are in terms of our faith, once those distinctions and those separations are broken down and everyone is seen as sort of this single sort of um, indistinguishable gelatinous a moral blob, what you've done is you've entirely shattered God's design for the world and the founder's vision 
for the country because they too understood protections that were needed because of the fact that we were equal, but we all came with our own individual worth. Our individual worth was recognized. We think about, obviously, the Declaration of Independence itself, the very language of one of our foundational documents. All men are created equal. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. That is something that should guide us moving forward. It is a foundational principle. Unfortunately, we have begun to pick apart these principles that have held fast for so long. And it isn't just a left-wing effort. It is really an effort from the enemy because if you can attack our very bodily reality, the consequences of that are going to be absolutely dire. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, as I mentioned briefly, I know we're running out of time and you've been very generous with your time. So thank you, Sarah. Um, but I'm sure we could talk for like 99 more hours. Uh, so that'll just have to be other interviews. That'll have to be next time. Uh, but the um, parallels between what we're seeing in the denial of God's uh, beautiful design for male and female, um, I, I do see some parallels to that fight with the leftist march on life and on undoing mm-hmm. protections of life, on um, you know establishing abortion on demand. And in many cases, you mentioned messy federalism, and that's immediately what what sprang to my mind because that's an issue that's very close to yeah. my heart and that we talk about quite frequently here. Um, I was just at a presidential town hall um, over the weekend, and there were almost it was a, a faith and freedom type of event, and yeah. uh, it was even in the name. And so many of the <laughs> candidates were there, and they were asked about life, and they had a few different approaches. Very few. I, it was interesting to note the differences between now and what I probably would have heard. Um, five or 10 years ago at a similar event. Um, It was almost none of them talked about life beginning at conception. Um, Hat tip to Perry Johnson. He actually did uh, say that. And so I'm not hearing that type of language. I'm hearing a lot more in terms of policy and strategy. Like at what point in developmentally are we willing to legislate this? Is there a place for for federal regulations versus state regulations? Larry Elder, you know, bless his heart. And I, I really appreciate that. He's saying there's no federal role whatsoever. And, uh, you know, he he um, says we're basically we're going to close paraphrase. We're going to lose all the elections if we try to put the, the federal government in there. So unless we can get a constitutional amendment passed, there's no federal role, which, frankly, I was very disappointed in that answer. Uh, and so I'm I'm listening to this and I'm noticing the changes in the approach. And from your opinion, as a legal scholar who cares about life, who's who's, uh, you know, keeping very close tabs on all of this, I would love to hear your thoughts on because, as I said, I do see parallels. I see this federalist approach that is targeting kids specifically and separating parents from children. Some states yeah. are protecting that relationship and others are further dividing it and further causing that that confusion. And they are becoming closer, are, are um, more prey to the enemy. They're leaving them vulnerable. Um, and it, in the same way, we see babies in the womb being protected in some states. And that protection has been growing in states like ours and Florida. Um, and you see other states that are just you know lifting all bans whatsoever all restrictions and it's opening the floodgates. And so I'm seeing the extremities continue to grow further and further apart. Um, the state of Ohio is kind of this, all, all eyes have been on that state as well, which I know you're keeping an eye on. So I would love to get your take on what's happening with life as well as, you know, if time permitting, if I'll be quiet and let you answer, uh, the, <laughs> the legal strategies that are at play here. 
Yeah. So um, the legal strategies are are different everywhere. You know, there's there's a bit of a lack of consensus among the pro-life movement. And that's something I think the pro-life movement's always struggled with, quite frankly. I think there are a lot of different views on how best to go about it. The aim, obviously, is to um, limit or prevent abortions altogether and save the unborn. We understand the sanctity of human life from the very moment of conception. You know, it is the Bible's very clear about how we were knit together in our mother's womb and how the Lord knew us before we were born. So this is an issue that I'm, I'm obviously very passionate about. I think, and Heritage's stance is, that the government should do everything the Constitution permits at every level of government to protect the unborn. Listen, Congress has certain enumerated powers. The fact of the matter is, the Constitution makes that very clear. And under those powers, there is authority for federal legislation. Now, whether or not that's federal heartbeat legislation, whether or not that's a 15-week pain-capable ban, whether or not that's reauthorization of the partial birth abortion ban remains to be seen. I think there are a number of different tactics, but every incremental step is a victory. So, of course, we're not going to get all candidates to agree. We can't even get all pro-life leaders to agree. The movement has always been fractioned uh, in this respect, but the Constitution does provide authority, for example, under the tax and spend power to be able to regulate those sort of interstate commerce effects of abortion, those implements of abortion, whether that's abortion pills, whether that's abortion uh, surgical um, equipment, and regulate them and or limit them entirely. So Mm -hmm. there are mechanisms that can be used. Let's also focus on the fact that there are certain uh, federal funding prohibitions on abortion that we need to make sure are reauthorized every year. What we call those hide type amendments, amendments that are attached to appropriations riders that we want to make sure prevent any federal tax dollar whatsoever going to domestic or international abortions. That's wholly within Congress's right to do. So there's a couple of sort of elements of low-hanging fruit. Let's get, for example, the partial birth abortion ban reauthorized. That's a no-brainer. It's already withstood constitutional scrutiny at the Supreme Court who upheld it. Mm -hmm. So the Supreme Court's already weighed in on the fact that Congress does have a role in this and that they can, in the end, restrict as the Constitution permits them to. And remember, the Dobbs decision overturning Roe versus Wade, that sort of groundbreaking decision of last summer, was very clear. And Alito, in his majority opinion, wrote, uh, it is time to return the issue of abortion to the people and their elected representatives. Now, most of us think states. I would love to see states be more active in this space because it is technically a medical issue that, as a general rule, will mostly fall under state authority. But he said people's representatives because he wanted to make sure that the court was very clear on not foreclosing the opportunity for Congress to weigh in. We elect congressional leaders like we elect state leaders. Go out, vote for the people who are going to take a stand on the sanctity of life, whether that's six weeks, 15 weeks, or otherwise, we have an opportunity to get better. It may be incremental progress, but remember, it took us 50 years 
to ensure an overturning of Roe versus Wade. So Mm -hmm. we need a bit of patience in the time, but let's also make very clear that there is a role for the federal government in this as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would say also to to have that boldness and the courage of conviction. I think that we see this confusion strategically, uh, partially because the thing we prayed for, we actually got, which is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I don't know if you feel stymied like that in your private life, but there are times when we spend so long praying and thinking, yeah. all right, well, when this happens, when this dream comes true, Lord, please hear my prayer. <laughs> and then suddenly it does. And we're like, oh boy, now what? Uh, yeah. I don't yeah, think it actually that's exactly happened. It. And so that's sort of what I've seen. Now we're the the fracturing that's happening is perhaps a consequence of uh, not to say too much of a good thing, but the, suddenly when the prayer was answered, it's like we, I guess we weren't actually prepared for this. Yeah. Uh, but I, I I'm very happy that that's the case. My concern is that we now need to continue to push forward with a united front with that that conviction that we know to be true, which is that each and every life is a gift from God, is worthy of protecting, is fully human from our beginnings, and that we all have that right to life guaranteed, I would say, in the Constitution under the Fifth and and Fourteenth Amendments. uh, Applying that, I would love to see someone go out and make that argument and cast that vision, too. Um, And so that's where, here in the state of Iowa, we're practically tripping over presidential candidates. So we'd just like to hear your take (laughs) on the smart questions to ask them uh, on the campaign trail. Sarah, it's been wonderful. It's been marvelous to have you on our show. Um, Right before we close, I I just love to hear your words of encouragement to people who see these big concerns. Maybe they follow libs of TikTok and that's enough to upset your breakfast and to to make you want to take a stand and, you know, carry around a Gadsden flag and do all the things. (laughs) You got to start a rebellion if you see that. Um, You know, it's funny because there there is a lot of room to be energized. And it's really one of those situations in which you you have to understand that time is fast forwarding. And that while we've been hearing, I'm sure for many, many years from different candidates, from different leaders, that you know the future of the Republic hangs in the balance. I think the stakes are higher this year than they have ever been. So my encouragement is to find out what your kids are reading. Find out the laws that your legislators are passing. Find out what your federal congressional representative stands for. Make sure that you use that precious citizen right to go out and vote. And make sure that you understand that the author of America's Future has already written it out. And we know the story is pretty good in the end. That's true. He writes the best stories. He doesn't give us the endings. There's a lot of plot twists. But we know, we know uh, who wins in the end. Sarah Partial Perry has been an excellent guest. We'd love to have you back anytime here on FaithWorks Live. I will link below to where you can keep track of her work. Subscribe to Problematic Women. Put it on your favorites podcast list. And she is on X, formerly Twitter. But I don't think Elon likes it when I see he's following me. So I have to like clarify specifically. Uh, Sarah, it's been wonderful to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. Thanks for all that you do. And if you have been energized and you're ready to armor up in this conversation, thank you for listening to Faith Works Live. Check out our podcast as well. We're uh, wherever your uh, finer podcasts are pervade. And uh, we're on YouTube if we haven't been canceled yet. We're on Facebook. And uh, just check us out there at Faith works live. Me, I'm Rebecca Haney, and I'm reminding you that we have a mission. So let's be about it. Our mission is to love God, to serve people, and to live free.